Hey everyone, welcome to a really special edition of Yeah But Still. I'm your host Jack Wagner, and I'm personally very excited for this one. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Keith Morris, frontman of the bands Black Flag, The Circle Jerks, and Off. For most people, this man needs no introduction. Um, for those not familiar, for those not familiar, I'd actually be willing to bet that you are familiar um, in some way and just don't realize it. Um, because this man's career has had a huge, huge ripple effect on not only music, but culture and art. And I don't know, it's, it's truly hard to measure. In 1976, Keith Morris formed the band Black Flag in Hermosa Beach with his friend Greg Ginn and basically birthed the genre of hardcore punk music in Southern California. He then uh, immediately after went on to form the band The Circle Jerks. Um, and it, it's no exaggeration to say that these bands um, change music and culture forever. Even the album artwork and uh, the flyers for their shows were incredibly influential. Um, Black Flag has probably one of the most iconic band logos of all time and certainly the most replicated. Um, if <laughs> Even if you know nothing about punk, I guarantee you've seen this logo before. Like I said, it's really hard to measure the impact of Keith's career. Um, I'm so excited to have him on as a guest. I really wanted to do this interview justice, so... I brought on the pod's official punk expert, Brace Belden, to help co-host. Um, this is going to be a two-part series. Part two and a video version of this entire interview are going to be available on Patreon this week. So if you want to hear part two or watch the video version, sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash yeah, but still. Um, and with that being said, this is part one of our interview with Keith Morris, and I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to Yeah But Still. Um, this is a very, very special one. In fact, a year a year in the making. Filling in for Brandon, I brought in an expert with me, Brace Belden. Hello. Many of you know from True and On. Maximum rock and roll. Let's, let's, uh, there we go. Let's get yep. the credentials for this one. Exactly. And, um, you know, had to sub you in because we have a very special guest. A year, a year in the making, Keith Morris. Special. Mm-hmm. Very special. Very special guest. A year in the making or a year in the baking or oh whatever. So you asked me to be on this show? In July of last year, technically. Okay. Via Autry of one of your bands off. A pleasant surprise. Very pleasant surprise. But yeah, I mean, Keith, of how many bands can we name, Brace? Black Flag, okay, well, Circle let, Jerks. No, let's start. There's ACDC, and then uh-huh. there's the Beatles, and there's the Animals <laughs> while we're in the A's. There's Aerosmith. There's ABBA. Uh, there's ABBA. Yeah. Almond Even Brothers. W- w- would we consider ABBA a band, or are they a, 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 a group? vocal group with a couple of guys who are actually musicians that write the songs? Um, we're, we're not into the B's yet, no, but we're still no. in the A's. There's Black Sabbath and the B's. There's oh, Alice course. Cooper and, you know. Well, Cooper would be in the C's. Yeah, I feel like. Sure. Technically, it depends on how you're sorting it. Yeah. I wanted to start off by talking about the, the very early days. Um, Hermosa Beach. 
when you formed Black Flag, and the naming of the bands reminded me of something that stuck out that we were talking about before this, uh-huh. is that you credit going to a Journey concert with Greg as like the the inciting incident for Black Flag. I was uh, I was working for my dad in the in the um, fishing tackle store. Bait, yeah, bait shop, right? And when I wasn't working there, I was working for my friend who owned a record store about three blocks up the hill uh-huh. on Pier Avenue. And Michael Piper, who owned the record store, his thing at the time was he was listening to a lot of prog rock, which doesn't bother me. I'm a, I'm a fan of prog rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also listening to... Um, the the first two heart albums so he was listening to some rock journey was something that came and went and we didn't really wrap our ears around unless they were on the radio yeah and um we had the opportunity to go see the original lineup of journey which didn't have the uh the ballless wonder steve perry or whatever Uh his name is that lineup of journey leaned more towards prog rock so that was the reason why we wanted to go see journey but the band that played before journey was for us was even more important because they had a hit on the radio Uh, and they're the best band basically of all time I'm not going to go that far. Well, I won't, I won't go. I'm not going to climb out on that limb. I love, I love Thin Lizzy. They're a great band, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to say they're the greatest band of all time. When they had I mean, two how guitarists, could, how, yes, they were okay, the greatest band of all time. And one of the guitar players was from Santa Barbara. No shit. Yeah, Who? the guy with the Scott long, Gorham? with the long, with the long oh, hair. The pretty boy too. You know, I and mean, he's, he is what a... is he still the only remaining member of Thin Lizzy? Th- they're doing that thing where they have like the fifth drummer and like some like random guys doing. Yeah. It. yeah. So you and Greg went to this show. Was that like the first time you guys met each other? Basically, and the, the, this was at a time when they had just uh, the promoters that were doing shows at the Santa Monica Civic realized that they could squeeze another couple of thousand people in the building if they removed all of the seats on the floor. Yes. So we're standing there, we're rocking out, and Thin Lizzy gets through playing, and for for whatever reason, I, I guess uh, the wavelength was right about here between Greg Ginn and myself, and we looked at each other, and the the light bulb flashed over our heads hey if they can do it we can do it Uh uh-huh you know they're they're great but hey we could do this let's start a band so 76 you guys must have started right after that then yeah yeah but it was it was it was uh it was kind of difficult for us because we were just a couple of nerds and yeah. it was like we had friends that played in bands but all of the f- friends that we had that played in bands they were all top 40 bands yeah i was struck like just reading your your book recently well one thing that stuck out to me is that you were saying that like punk happened in new york happened in london but it like kind of didn't get to la properly and it was like there wasn't like a real true scene you were describing how people like we're sort of just like dressing almost like an imitation of uh 
of like what they saw in like zines or whatever. You well, were saying that you were like rejected because you you didn't really follow that. We were we were in a void. There was a period here in Los Angeles, which is one of the biggest music hubs in the world. Yeah. And we're going through this period where there's like the runaways. There's the quick, there's the dogs, there's the sunset bombers, there's the pop, there's um, the the imperial dogs. There's maybe a dozen bands that are playing on the strip. And those are basically half of those like power pop bands, basically. There were some great rock bands. I mean, the runaways, yeah. you, you can't you can't take anything away from them. They, they 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 rocked out. There's there that go, there's emergency yeah. fire engine that I told you was going to happen. Uh, it's okay. Just getting close to the mic, it'll pick it up. Fine. Okay. Um, that's good. It just it adds to the, the atmosphere. Yeah, you know? yeah, they're going to arrest Kim Fowley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, Hermosa Beach back then. I don't know. I I was fascinated by how you guys were sort of outsiders to the scene. But you were also saying that there wasn't that much of a punk scene in LA in the first place. The, the um, in the in the beginning, the punk scene were all of the the the, the more edgy people. Mm-hmm. The more um, there there were a lot of intellectuals. There were a lot of uh, fashion designers. There were a lot of um, writers. Um. Uh, 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 some of the people that performed in the bands also wrote like some of them were staff members for slash magazine yeah 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 you know that would be chris d who was in the flesh eaters and he ultimately ended up signing the misfits in the gun club and uh i think he might have played a role in signing the blasters and he was friends with x and there, there were some in, incredibly and amazing people that were part of the scene, but it was very clickish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like all, it was like, from what I always understood, it was like very arty people that hung around like the mask or whatever. And like, it seems sort of similar to San Francisco in that way when it's like, it's like a, a lot of like art students. Um, a, a lot of art students who actually, um, s- some of them were fantastic. Yeah, Some of their sure. creativity was amazing. Um, but the, the, it, it's basically a group of about three to 400 people. Everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. And there started to be more shows happening and being fans of music and having become fans of punk rock music we wanted to hang out. We wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And in this process, we we had been we had been working on songs. Like Greg Ginn and I worked on probably ten songs. What's the first one you guys wrote together? Um I I wrote lyrics. Yeah. yeah I never yeah. wrote any music. So Greg was basically, he was the creative engine and maybe he was inspired by me because I was such a freak. Mm-hmm. I was like the Tasmanian devil. Give me a six pack of beer and I'm leaping off a 
seven-story building and hoping that there's a swimming pool down yeah, there yeah yeah and and hoping that i managed to land in the deep end of the swimming pool and well, not in the jacuzzi well, that, well, that would not have worked what was the first one you wrote lyrics for then um i wrote the lyrics to wasted uh-huh. okay, and that makes sense um I, I wrote a couple of other sets of lyrics that uh ultimately weren't used when i left there were 16 songs yeah and we were working on another four songs and they were they were pissed off at me because my my engine just was i i was just kind of idling i was um uh, upset that we were spending more time rehearsing and there were no shows coming up mm-hmm. so it's like i got i gotta i gotta i gotta go out there and i gotta hear some of these bands i gotta i gotta uh hang out with some of my newfound friends you know i who, who would have thought that you were on the cusp of like starting this whole career back then you know because at the time you were talking about you're mostly like partying doing drugs and then like it sounded like black flag was really casual for a while we we were because we had no um we had no agenda yeah yeah you're playing for like oil rig workers and stuff we didn't even know how to book a show yeah and so uh, people would come to us and like the the oil, the s- standard oil refinery. <laughs> they played at that El Segundo, like oil. You know that refinery down by the beach that kind of stands out. Yeah, yeah, airport? yeah. You guys played at a bar within there. They they had a little like we <laughs> called it the workers' playhouse. What the fuck? This, that stuck out to me as like how many of these shows, uh, how many people probably accidentally saw Black Flag and like per- perhaps still don't even know it. You know, just random because you guys were playing for like people that didn't want to see you we were playing for whoever was would stand there and want to kill us yeah yeah (laughs) including that um that infamous show at um the uh polywog park that was uh that was a good one because it was a sunday afternoon in the park and all of the families were there and the little kids were feeding breadcrumbs to like ducks and whatever whatever else was floating around in the in the pond and um we had uh, not we but greg ginn mm-hmm. had convinced the um head of uh, parks and recreation for the city of manhattan beach yeah to let us play in the park oh, that's a bad idea in the shell the band shell because we uh were uh a cover band that had um a few jazz songs <laughs> and that that uh somebody described that as us sticking the needle in the ass of the community yeah i can see that i mean it's 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 funny that you say that you're like i was just like more interested in partying because black flag to me when i was like like learning about punk or whatever when i was younger it always seemed like the worst band to be in because it was like every interview you read with like I don't know, henry rollins where he was like yeah we practice for 16 hours a day seven days a week it's like well, I thought the point of being in a band was to, that you had something to tell girls that you did at night. Well, um, you also have to take into consideration that 
um rollins comes from military yeah so he's got that regimental yeah like, yeah we're gonna go out there and we're gonna kill them because because i lift weights mm -hmm. and i've got tattoos <laughs> and all of that fun yeah, stuff yeah yeah um i was kind of just along for the the ride that was going to going to take me to the party yeah yeah and you know normally when you think of bands it's like you think of motley crew and girls 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 and um mounds of white powder uh, strategically placed at the party and uh an endless flow of adult beverages and that was kind of my mentality mm -hmm. even though um i was very angry and that comes through and this the same thing with greg ginn and his his approach to guitar just attack the guitar like you know we're gonna get through doing this and the, the russians are gonna just fucking bomb us with everything in their nuclear arsenal yeah so there's not going to be a tomorrow so we're gonna just we're just going to like rip up tonight we're just gonna take the biggest whitest bite out of all of it and hope that it tastes good and uh maybe there might be a tomorrow see the the thing with uh, a lot of the punk rock bands and and their approach and their attack and their aggressiveness is due to the fact that at that time we were living under this constant threat of somebody pressing the red button mm -hmm. and it was all going to go away so it's like let's do it let's get it done and <clears throat> the situation um stemming from polywog park was that we had created this uh air this mystique this people talking behind our backs like they're terrorists they're they're going to they're going to corrupt our kids oh look at what they're doing and what they're saying and how can you stand this and they're just the most evil people and they're making our kids turn into this army of punk rock zombies yeah and, you know it's like we got to run them out of town we gotta we gotta take this to the city council and in front of the mayor and hopefully the chief of police will be there with his lieutenant and the sheriff and all of these guys and we got to the point where um we couldn't drive away from any of the places where we lived without having somebody on our tail no shit that's insane like we would be followed all the way up pier avenue heading north on pacific coast highway to artesia to get to the freeway to get to hollywood or downtown la or wherever we were going to see a band and and those uh situations were few and far between and and because getting back to henry rollins we we were yeah. 16 hours a day because it's our job and it's what we do and i love my job and hooray for us um i let everybody know that we were rehearsing a minimum 
five to six days a week. Yeah, I mean there insane. would there would be that one odd night where we would actually like one night I I I talked the guys in the band to uh, cutting our rehearsal short so we could load up the vehicle and drive up to the Whiskey A Go Go to see ACDC on their first U.S. tour. Uh huh. And they were all thanking me after that. Like, well, we've never heard them. It's like, how could you talk us into going and seeing this band? And afterwards, it was like, that was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for convincing <laughs> yeah, that was us probably to incredible. go. Yeah. ACDC first tour here. Yeah. Yeah. Probably insane. Yeah. They played, I think they played, it was either two or three nights at the Whiskey A Go Go. That's what all of the bands, all of the touring bands, see, getting back to, the amount of bands that were happening in our in our in our void, our our musical desert, like there were no buildings. It was just all sand and maybe some grassy knolls here and there, and some cows and some uh, wild animals that have come down out of the hills. There was there was, like I said, about maybe maybe a dozen bands mm-hmm. happening before punk rock. And all of a sudden, um, I I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, there's more local bands happening, yeah. and the the scene's starting to get bigger. And it was a it was amazing watching it, but you know, L.A. being one of the biggest musical hubs in the world, and and having this period of like nothing going on yeah the only the only thing that was happening on the sunset strip would be like acdc showing up for three nights or um some of the some of the limey bands would show up Susie and the banshees would play a couple of nights or mm-hmm. the ramones and blondie i remember seeing the ramones and blondie at the whiskey a go-go that was a great bill um my dad, cramps. My dad told me that uh, Debbie Harry once like sweated on him at the Mubu High Gardens, and he said it was like a really uh, transformative and, experience. And he never, he never, never washed that. Didn't take a shower ever again in his life. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, so when you guys, so you guys start seventy seven, right? Well, we um the 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 light bulb over our heads at the Santa Monica Civic was sometimes towards the somewhere towards the end of 76 yeah yeah and greg and i would uh get together in his living room and he had a uh amp and speaker that he played through and i plug a mic into the the same yeah 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 and the both of us played through this same thing yeah little speaker thing and we did that probably for a couple of months you know it was like we're not getting together every night like we did when we started rehearsing you know the the regimental thing with black flag didn't happen until chuck dukowski joined the band Mm -hmm. because chuck dukowski showed up and said I'll play with you guys, but we're going to start we're going to start rehearsing like a real band. And that's when the the fun got sucked out yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a moment where 
you kind of like had the light bulb go off and be like, oh, Black Flag's like, we're, like, we're a real band. People are going to take this seriously. Was there like a show or uh That moment, like when it dawned on me that we're, we're for real, happened over here in um, West Hollywood at a party after one of the shows we had attended. Mm-hmm. And we had had a difficult time trying to crack the nut of what would be the click of people here yeah in los angeles and hollywood the the punk rock people we happened to be in a room in an apartment and whoever was putting the platters on the turntable i think it was fast freddy who was um the creator of a, a fanzine called Backdoor Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he just apparently said, I, I need to get a couple of beers and I need to have a smoke out front and I need to get away from being the DJ because we've kind of run out of records here. This record collection is not very big, so I've played whatever I'm going to play. Chuck Dukowski had a copy of the Nervous Breakdown EP with uh-huh. him. And when Freddie gets up, Chuck plops himself down on the floor next to the stereo system and puts a nervous breakdown on. And the people in the room, and we're we're talking about these are the elite. These are the these are the people that you want to talk to if you want to get anywhere doing this kind of music. These are the people you need to impress everybody in the room there were probably i want to say about 30 people maybe maybe 40 people that would be pushing it everybody took like a couple of steps back and you you could see a couple of jaws dropping to the floor and chuck plays the first couple of songs then he flips it over and i think it's three more songs on the on the the b side and once he gets through playing all five songs, we had um, Claude Bessie, Claude mm-hmm. Kickboy, who was like the main guy at Slash yeah, Magazine. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like his comment was, you guys made that. You weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and And he and I became really good friends yeah what do you think like he meant we, you know weren't supposed to do that like what do you what well do you we mean? looked like we were we were uh we had just uh purchased 20 tickets each to follow the grateful dead around for 20 shows <laughs> well no, that's not i mean that's could be true in the case of greg right well he's he is a grateful dead he's, fan that's what yeah he's famously I, a, a grateful you know, dead freak. people people want to hold that against them but hey the, the 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 thing with the Grateful Dead is when they're great, they're great, you know. And there's all that dilly yeah. dallying, dwiddling, diddly doodly stuff that they do that is just not that happening. But the, I one of the 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 very first concert that I saw at the Hollywood Palladium was the Grateful Dead, and they were fucking happening, yeah. like. I'm I'm in this room. I've never been in a room like this. There's four thousand people in here. There's people. They're it's they're doing their marathon. Yeah, and they play for like four hours, and it's like I'm I'm um 
I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> we had, um, um, elephant tranquilizer. We were, we were all dosed with, uh, elephant tranquilizer because they put it in the Boda bag with the red wine Jesus. and I stood in the middle of the floor for about six hours see because this is at a time when the opening bands it's like oh you're not playing a 25 minute set you're not playing a 30 minute set you're not playing a 45 minute set you want to play for an hour just go ahead yeah you want to play for an hour and a half just go ahead oh, like the, the new writers of the purple sage yeah, played yeah, before yeah. the oh grateful dead and that they was, played for like an hour and, and a half that's like got members of the grateful dead too so that's guys playing for like 10 hours that well night. they were all like yeah. part of the same circle up in san francisco yeah yeah and it was fun i mean it's like i'm not i'm not dissing the grateful dead i got a couple of grateful dead albums they, there's a couple of they they wrote some amazing songs well, musically it's different but like i could see like looking back now the the dead scene is like probably the closest thing to like what would be the punk scene going on in terms of like the the way they're spreading like the yeah the bootlegging I mean, the bootleg had such a huge effect. And just the, the fact of it being so open-minded. Yeah. Tribal. But here's the thing with the punk rock versus the Grateful Dead person. Uh-huh. You're a hippie. You smell like patchouli. Uh, go home and uh, sip your tea and mm-hmm. um, meditate. Because I'm getting on the I'm getting on the Santa Monica freeway and I'm driving 90 miles an hour in the fast lane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a pretty yeah. I guess if, like it's funny like you know listening to you talk and like you know your the sort of musical influences you guys had. It's like you. I think the sort of popular imagining of punk is it's like a complete rejection of the 60s, right? Like. That's like sort of how it's been presented, but like it's it, it, not. It, it's turned into a, a, a there's a uni there's a punk rock yeah. uniform which is basically really close to the hippie uniform, yeah. less the sandals. Yeah, yeah, but like I mean, I think a lot of the I think a lot of these like especially the early punk bands, it's like there's not a huge difference between them and like a lot of the bands you hear on like the nuggle nuggets or like pebbles compilations like you know these sort of like really shitty 60s garage rock bands but they're also, not but here's the thing they're not shitty no i mean <laughs> shitty isn't the fact that they can't play more than two chords it's like the same kind but of it's shitty. all good yeah that's you what know, i'm saying we we yeah. we um at one point had the standells uh, incredible we had the seeds yeah mm-hmm. you listen they to- played the other night at zebulon which is what? really funny yeah the seeds played three nights ago at zebulon which you, is you did you go no we should have gone it was anyway. probably probably pretty happening yeah but you you also and i considered these bands to be they're they're the foundation yeah. they're the blueprint i mean you said I, I heard an interview with you you said one of your first concerts was love which is insane to me because those guys were like i mean you want to talk about people bum, who bum, fucking bum, 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 yeah bum, bum, but bum, even bum. as people i mean those were like i mean th- there was a lot of m- mischief and mayhem surrounding those guys in like a real way i think one of them killed somebody like they were like those guys were not, you know, peace and peace and love kind of guys themselves, and it's like we're just a bunch of regular guys. Exactly. Um, 
So you got this fucking record out. You're finally like impressing, you know, these kind of like L.A., you know. Yeah, all of those people, people were taken aback. It was like, what is this? Well, it sounds a lot because if you listen to like, I'm trying to think of sort of like the harder sounds of like like early L.A. stuff. But like, I mean, I love all this shit. I love the weirdos, the randoms, all these bands. But like, it's very sort of like like ultra melodic and like kind of like. A little Devo inflected some of it, and 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 uh, and bright. It's all really bright, and and that Nervous Breakdown record is just like, it's it's really prototypical for a lot of stuff that would come afterwards. It's like it's like the beginning of hardcore, really, and it's like almost a different. It's like an evolution of the sound. And we, while we were doing all of this, didn't realize that we had created the idea yeah and what would eventually become hardcore yeah that's do you feel bad about that? you know we were just we're just a bunch of guys making noise yeah what we wanted to do there was no premeditated well we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna do this and the money's just gonna fall out of the sky and we're gonna be rock stars there was there was none of that it was we come from working class and it was like all we knew how to do piggybacking on what you were saying is how punk is presented as like this rejection of the 60s you know straight edge hardcore is like presented as like this direct rejection of what you guys were doing and i wondered if was that even like on your radar what was happening with like some of those bands later on like uniform choice and those guys well we played with a lot of those bands we rubbed elbows with a lot of those bands we've seen a lot of those bands and the 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 mentality was that yeah so we did this before them yeah and we obviously set an example uh and maybe all of these other bands were the ones that looked us looked at us and said i want to be like that or i don't want to be like that or yeah yeah um, he's this or he's that or she's this or or whatever we never really paid attention to any of these um you know, it's like the art critic that goes into the, the museum and he stands in front of the painting and starts to intellectualize, well, the the artist was thinking this when he was doing this and yeah. rather than just like being blown away by the piece of artwork and who cares what the guy was thinking or whatever she was thinking when they were painting it. It's just like, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's crazy how much was going on back then in such a small area especially even when i've heard you talk about hermosa beach and like all all the guys so many people lived within like a three block radius of each other and so many things that had like a big ripple effect seemed to happen like randomly like uh uh, like ray pettibon like all the ideas he gave you and then we were talking before like you you say you named gun club just like casually that's insane i didn't know that but you named the band gun club and and jeffrey had written a song he said i'll give you this song and it was we were struggling to um our creative thing was it was swirling and happening so fast that it was like it was it was kind of getting out ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. For those for those who aren't familiar, this is with circle jerks now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we jumped ahead a bit. But still the South Bay. Yeah. And uh, one of one of uh 
the things about Jeffrey Lee Pierce was he loved all of the music, all of the like modern new music that was coming out of the South Bay, like The Last. Oh, yeah. And The Alley Cats. Uh-huh. And the Red Cross guys. He loved them. So many of these guys and so many like seemingly like little moments had these like monumental yeah. effects. Okay, um, well, here, here's, we're going to go back to Hermosa Beach. Please. And, and what kind of role the city of Hermosa Beach and some of the outlying other beaches, what was happening in these towns was there was an agro go for it mentality because we grew up with guys and they're they're waxing their boards yeah. at four thirty in the morning and they're wearing their wetsuits and they're getting ready to go out into like f- f- freezing water yeah. and we've got to do this because we got to my my first class my opening my home class starts at eight in the morning so i got to get as much Jesus. surfing in as i can it's like we're not waiting around to see the shape of the waves or what the temperature is and when when they're not doing that they're skating yeah skateboards sidewalk surfing if they're not doing that if it's raining or it's foggy or it's freezing cold we're going up on the mountain and we're going to be doing some skiing jesus you know and, and all of that was leading to uh snowboarding yeah, yeah which yeah, basically yeah. is another form of skating or surfing um so we were surrounded by like world-class people you know and we had this period where we were going through this thing where all of the redneck truck driving white supremacists um the 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 people who were um lacking intelligence yes you know that couldn't get past um some cave stomp kind of thing some um you know whatever was being played on the radio somebody that couldn't get past the eagles or the hotel california is the greatest thing that anybody ever conceived like go fuck yourself um we, we had these uh, jocks is what yeah. we called them. So we had these guys follow us around and yell things at us and throw things at us. And it was, okay, if that's what you want to be, then uh, good luck. Drive your, drive your uh, vehicle off the end of the Santa Monica Pier. Nobody will miss you except the, maybe your brother and sister and your mom and dad. Yeah. But um, we, we had this period where we were, um being called all these names by these other people that had no idea as to what we were really doing and so there was that friction and you would think you know we 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 were surrounded by athletes there's Mm. a difference between an athlete and a jock a jock is just Oh, I'm the quarterback of the team, which means I'm going to get a blowjob from all of the cheerleaders. Yeah. You know, that kind of mentality. The where there are actual athletes who do what they do, that, and there's no training. You know, it's, a surfer doesn't train to surf. A surfer just fucking goes for it. Yeah. That was part of our mentality. 
the just jump off the end of the pier and swim back in you know um we 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 had this riff with these people and we were um also surrounded by like i said all of these athletes like mm-hmm. world class surfers skaters and we eventually the circle jerks we would have uh team alva as our road crew i was yeah. going to bring that out i mean Something that really surprised me is that you credited Tony Alva and his friends for starting stage diving. Was it or a circle pit? Well, we're in Southern California. Yeah. So we have to be in the swimming pool capital of the world. <laughs> yes. And what do you do at a swimming pool? If you're not jumping off of the diving board, you're diving into the pool. Mm-hmm. That's a stage dive. We had the slam dance, which some people call the circle pit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people on the West Coast call it the mosh pit. I mean, people on the East Coast yeah, yeah. call it the mosh pit. But they were doing it here. It's basically a guy riding a skateboard without a skateboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what that dance is. Do so you think they actually started it, or is that kind of like in spirit? You think they? Because I just like it was in your book, and that really struck me. It, it was those guys. Yeah, yeah. See, they started sense. off with ZZ Top and Deep Purple and Black Sabbath, Ted Nugent, um, and for the and listeners, mo- moved into X and Fear and the bags and i could i could just go down a list yeah. of all of these different bands that happened here um you was know it, you have suicidal tendencies who they're a bunch of venice skate yeah. guys yeah. that started a, a band and a gang and you know it blew up from <laughs> there yeah oh and for the listeners who don't know tony alva one of the z boys also like the first i don't know he kind of was like was the first like bad boy skateboarder yeah. that like sort of I mean kind of set the stage for like what most skateboarders are like now but yeah yeah I feel like so that, that was like a crazy small world situation when I well, heard that he he um had the the brilliant idea to take it to the world mm-hmm. yeah now granted some people and there were a lot of the skaters at that time that were pissed off at him because he was um making a living by doing it yeah 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 you know if you do something great you you should be able to pay your rent for for doing it you know so there were all of these all of these like other skaters who were pissed off at him because he like i said was going to take it to the world yeah, uh, there's a, you know, s- switching tack a little bit here. One thing that uh, comes up, I feel like consistently in interviews with you and in your book is uh, you were l- wasted for much of the, this time. Yes. Like you were high as fuck and drunk as hell for until what, 88? All the way till 88. Yeah. Which is, which is, I think it's funny because like, I think hardcore has this reputation of like, well, depending on kind of what band, but like, uh, not like straight edge, but like can't get laid, 
Don't really drink that much. Just interested in like, you know, like putting out this aggression. Being um, Mr. Macho Guy. Exactly. Macho, well, macho my experience man. with hardcore is I was trying to get as many pills as possible and as drunk as possible as much as possible. And uh, and so you were saying, so what was, so how was that sort of trajectory for you? Because I feel like in hardcore, like that wasn't really, I mean, a lot of people drank a lot, but it wasn't as like um, prevalent as in other like sort of like sub genres of punk or like in the rock scene at large. And so you're, you're going through this basically this entire first half of your career wasted. There, um, there, there were a few people that hung out around me knowing yeah. that I had some party favors yeah, yeah. attached to me somewhere. And I always um, was never stingy. Yeah, yeah. So there, there were people that like, well, there's Keith. He, he's, he, at some point, he, there's going to be a case of beer hidden somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I had some friends some of these people that hung out because they knew that I was probably going to have a bindle of blow Mm -hmm. and they, they wanted to be a part of it. Um, now, uh, I, I don't know if they really considered me a friend or if they just considered me the guy that had the, the party favors. Yeah. I, I never really paid attention to that because, um, when I was doing all of that stuff, I was having a really great time. And you want to talk. You're on cocaine. You want to talk to people. So you'll hang out with just about anyone usually. Yeah. Yeah. There was a story from uh, from your book that like somebody, one of your future friends like walked up to you and just like poured a beer over your head and you like sized him up and realized you couldn't fight him. So you just offered him cocaine. That was, um, <laughs> that was um, my friend Durf Scratch, R.I.P., was it, Fred was, was the in? bass player in Fear. Yeah, 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 yeah. For, well, those for, guys were fucking huge. For for some reason, I was really attracted to them. Yeah. I loved their aggressiveness. I loved the humor. And unfortunately, some of us would find out later on that the humor, it, it sounded like humor, but it was for real yeah they kind of remind me of andrew dice clay like that well andrew dice clay a little less but they had the same sort of like that like that same energy as andrew dice clay but uh it was sort of a well and there's a there's it. another side to fear and that is they were they they leaned heavily on Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Yeah. Like like real herky-jerky. Yeah. The music was Not kind of shit. Yeah. going in different places. It wasn't just... Because they were a hardcore band, too. Um, but what spit was... The, the rhythms that he was playing on the drums... And the, he, he had a steel can and like a five-gallon empty steel can instead yeah. of a floor tom. He was doing some pretty amazing things on drums. It was, wasn't like he was just a typical boom-bop, yeah, boom-bop yeah, 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 type yeah. drummer. He was, he was getting into some like really, really creative rhythms. DJ Bonebreak was the same. DJ, who was the drummer in X, in X. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we kind of jumped ahead already, but 
black it sounds like black flag ended or your involvement in black flag ended kind of like just sort of like drifted out at a certain point until it was like i was in the band for three years yeah in, in that three-year period we went through four bass players Jeez. two drummers and oh how many re- different rehearsal places did uh, we had an office space on aviation boulevard in north redondo where it was basically a realtor's office <laughs> yeah we, yeah we, we, we just we went back over to hawthorne boulevard behind the carpeteria and went through their their big dumpsters and just pulled out whatever big rolls of oh, for soundproofing yeah, yeah big rolls of carpet just like ugly used stained <laughs> we had a razor fall out of one of the jeez i mean just re- i got crabs from one of the yeah. opening one of the rolls and you i got crabs from opening one of the carpet rolls yeah <laughs> yeah all right i'll let that one lie <laughs> so circle jerks formed pretty quickly after that right like yeah like almost immediately it, it was I, I was i had nothing to do yeah black flag i mean um i i'd left black flag now what i'd heard much much later on when i was doing flag and hanging out with chuck dukowski on a regular basis and becoming friends with him mm-hmm. because when i left he was like the last person i wanted to talk to yeah um i had found out that they were really upset with me hmm. because the the progress of the band had I have I'd impeded the progress of the band because I didn't want to learn any of the new songs. I didn't want to <laughs> learn the lyrics. Yeah, which it's is like uh, yeah. my my mentality at that time was what for? We're not going out to play. Yeah. What are we gonna what are we gonna spend another two months? rehearsing four or five hours a night to learn these songs yeah it's like what for yeah yeah i had i had basically come to the end of the trail with those guys and the three of them were mad at me chuck would tell me that greg wanted to fire me but greg couldn't figure out a way to tell me you're you're no longer yeah. wanted in this band huh. because he and i started black flag exactly and it's like who has sort of the authority there or yeah yeah you know how does paul mccartney tell john lennon that he's fired paying a guy to shoot him <laughs> go, go go record a record with yoko yeah 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 so circle jerks are your yoko <laughs> 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 um no not really yeah yeah well not 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 musically but in the sense that you had sex with them a lot uh, <laughs> you're you're really going out on a limb to the point where i should just say why don't you get the fuck out of my house i'm sorry i'm sorry um one of the strangest things that i ever remember reading i found this like 10 years ago is that there's an interview with philip k dick where he says, you're the only band I think I've ever seen him mention. Where uh, Philip K. Dick said, like, the interviewer is like, what what album do you throw on or whatever? And he's like, Circle Jerks. Which is the most 
I wish so badly that there had been a follow-up question to that and to how he got into that. <laughs> like, because, why would you be listening to that? Or just like, what? Because he's not a punk guy. You know, he liked drugs, but like, you know, he wasn't, he's not exactly, he wasn't, he wasn't hanging out at the Mabuhai Gardens every weekend. Well, we were, <laughs> there's a really, I, I want to say it's a weird part to all of this, uh-huh. but it's, maybe you would think that it's weird but actually people listen to all different kinds of music yeah and just just going down a list of people that um whatever i've done musically has touched would be uh randy newman elton john um and i i don't really think this was weird or really that odd but peter sellers was married to Britt Eklund, mm-hmm. who would, after they divorced or he died and she moved on to Rod Stewart, Peter Sellers and, and Britt Eklund had a daughter, Victoria, mm-hmm. who um, loved the L.A. punk bands and was um, Britt Eklund said i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna throw a party will you guys because you're her favorite band will you will you play her birthday party Hmm. we said of course why wouldn't we um we've had a few instances like that yeah um we have um experienced some non-punk rock people um getting back to some of the connections and some of the people that are into what we're doing um John Belushi. Oh, well, my he God, played drums yeah. in fucking Dead Boys, and F- I think it was Dead Boys, but he definitely played drums. There's video of him playing drums with Fear. Well, him showing up at a show in New York yeah. and asking us if we had a single that he could put on the jukebox in the bar that he and Dan Aykroyd owned. Cool. Was that was certainly something out of the blue. Somebody yeah. stepping out of the fog. Didn't John Belushi also, was he the reason why Fear performed on SNL? And they brought all, there's that famous I, video of them. I think so, yeah. They I brought mean, all these like weird punks. That to, video, to, no, it's like Ian McKay and minor, all the like DC punks moshing on, uh, or, or getting caught in a mosh they, on uh, They actually SNL. bust in a couple of groups of yeah. people to just make the crowd seem more lively yeah Yeah. and it got out of control and john belushi had actually asked me if the circle jerks would be interested in performing on saturday night live but lorne michaels after fear said no no moss because you guys you guys were pretty fucking big man like there was you guys played like the Olympic well, we were pretty big when we stood on boxes. Otherwise, <laughs> everybody's taller than us. No, but like one of the things that blows my mind is like is like there were hardcore and punk bands playing the fucking like like these like thousands and thousands and thousands of seat venue. I mean, I guess like the Misfits or whatever do that now. But like it, that like that, that's like that that was a huge that's like huge shows you guys were playing. Well, there was a point in time where we were playing at the Olympic Auditorium downtown L.A. Yeah, yeah. And we would have a crowd as large as 5,000 people. See, that's crazy. That's, I mean, those are just like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's like. And that, that, that's, that catapults you into rock superstardom. Yeah. Who, who else? I really like the unexpected people 
question. Were there any other strange people that made their way to Circle Jerk shows? Um, one of our biggest fans happens to be um, the guy who basically created the blueprint for rock and roll, Chuck Berry. What? Showed up at one of our shows. Chuck Berry went to a Circle Jerk show? Chuck Berry showed up at one of our shows in St. Louis, and there was probably uh, about a thousand people in the crowd, and the kids were just going ape shit, like bananas, like flying through the air and swinging on any of the hanging lighting stuff, and he somehow managed to make his way through the crowd and he was standing at the front of the stage and we had just finished playing a song and our uh, guitar tech, drum tech runs to the front of the stage and pulls him up over the front of the stage. What? And he said, guys, this this is... Chuck Berry. I mean, he didn't need to tell me. I recognize yeah, Chuck yeah. Berry. But he said he he wants to play with you. And um while we're like looking at each other, our guitar tech, Greg's playing through two amps. Wait, this is with Flag? No, this is Circle Jerk. Oh, Greg, Greg, yeah. Greg Hecht. Yeah, 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 yeah. Greg Hudson. Yeah, or Hudson, yeah turns around and starts like unplugging things and reconfiguring the 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 amps and the speaker cabinets and he just so happened to have his uh he had a an sg which was basically a les paul yeah that les paul created for mary ford because the les paul as a guitar is extremely heavy and bulky and so he created a lighter, slimmer guitar uh-huh. for Mary Ford. And Greg happened to have uh, an SG, which was uh, a Les Paul. And so Chuck Perry picked that up, and Greg turned to everybody in the band and said, just follow along. You won't know what song he's playing until you get to the, until we're at the chorus, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then you'll yeah. know what the song is. And I think he said, follow in C or follow in E, he plays out of E or whatever whatever he plays out of. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm just a dumb vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Duh. <laughs> and we're, we're playing rollover Beethoven in <laughs> front of like a 800, 900, 1,000 yeah. people. And the kids are just, they're losing it. And then... Uh, at the end of the night, as everything had been packed and placed in the uh-huh. the van or the trailer or whatever we were using at the time, oh, we were on a bounder. We we purchased a bounder. That was that disastrous uh, oddities, abnormalities, and curiosities tour. Um, a- as we were filtering out, the the club owner came up to me and he said. Chuck Berry, there was a point in time when Chuck Berry would be in this club at least three or four times a week. 
Chuck what? Chuck Berry goes out and he sees a lot of the, the 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 bands, the touring bands. He goes out and he sees a lot of the local bands, and he told me to tell you that you are one of the greatest rock and roll bands he's ever seen. That's incredible. This is insane. That's an insane story. That's yeah. What year was that? Well, that was when Oddities, Abnormalities, and Curiosities came out. That was that tour couldn't have been more disastrous. How come? Uh, we signed with a major label, mm-hmm. and it just turned into a nightmare. Yeah. <clears throat> that seems like, because that was the 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was like, the 90s seemed weird because a lot of like the punk bands that like sort of stuck around at staying power throughout through the 80s ended up signing to major labels, I feel like, in the late 80s or early 90s. And, uh, I mean, major labels have never been particularly, like, unless you're the biggest band in the fucking world, like, you don't really get a lot out of it. And it seems like a lot of... You get a, you get a uh, cash payment up front. Yeah. That basically you owe back to the record label <laughs> yes. for the rest yeah. of your life. Yeah, you, you they indenture you. Um, and so that's like, it was that like a major, cause like that, at that point you guys were playing like warp tour and stuff like that in the nineties. Um, we, we played a handful of dates on the warp tour. We weren't really a warp tour band. I th- uh, yeah. We were, I guess we were the older guys, but we, 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 we were uh, allowed to get into the warp tour because of bad religion. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Greg's Greg was playing in bad religion at the time. So, um, it wasn't like something we looked forward to going out on tour in in on the Warp tour with yeah. all of those bands that w- the majority of us wouldn't listen to and, unless we were like in a situation where we were being yeah. uh, tortured. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Guantanamo Bay type music. Yeah, you know, they blast at you while they're interrogating you. Um, well, we can say that, but normally that's kind of like, um, oh, geez, Minist- was ministry. They used, oh, there, yes. they have, there is a list of songs that were used. I forgot um, about that. Yeah. There was a um, Cannibal Corpse song, I think, that they used. That makes sense. Sort of like death metal kind of shit. Yeah. They were in, weren't they in, they were in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Yes. I think Cannibal so. Corpse yeah, he goes and moshes. Yeah, yeah. I've is, never seen it. Oh, it's a it's a great film. Um, um, and didn't it win several Academy Awards? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, J- Jim Carrey is probably one of the best. I mean, he's more more a thespian than an actor. Very Shakespearean of him. Didn't you also briefly? I, I heard you played with Red Hot Chili Peppers at some point. Um, I um, found myself in a room with them where they were just losing their minds because it was. A, probably the biggest show that they had played up to that point getting back to the olympic auditorium was suicidal tendencies in the minute men um they're gonna play in front of about four thousand people and anthony kiedis comes up a wall where's anthony where's anthony Anthony, where are you? Anthony, Anthony. It was in this in this backstage room about the size of this room. It, it got to the point where I was thinking, well, why don't you click your heels a couple of times? Or why doesn't everybody all chant 
the same thing at the same time and maybe he'll just magically appear in the middle of the room he had um there there are varying stories the one story that i heard was that he got arrested because he had a couple of outstanding warrants uh-huh. he was arrested for jaywalking oh my god you're kidding and then i would later on hear I guess these are all conspiracy theories now. <laughs> what else was there? There was, uh, he scored some heroin and nodded out on his dealer's couch, which was totally possible. Mm-hmm. So whatever the reason, um, Flea looked at me and said, Keith, we need a vocalist. You're going to come up there with us. Now, granted, um, I'd scored about $200 worth of cocaine in the parking lot. <laughs> that means you can do anything. And that was before the, the girl that I bought the $200 worth of cocaine gave me $100 before that, $100 worth of cocaine. So here I am. I'm uh, rounding it off at about $300, and I'm probably about 12 beers in. And that's 80s so money like, too, right? Let's do this, yeah. guys. I can do this. Do you know the lyrics? I didn't know any of their lyrics. <laughs> That's what I was going to be like. Because I feel like they have a lot of lyrics. Yeah. Which is, what you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now repeat the, that 500 times. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what'd you do? You just got what up there? What you see is what you get. <laughs> and jumped around. And um, uh, Sherm Dog, who was the guitar player at the time, he knew some of the lyrics. So consequently, what they had done is they'd set up mics for everybody in the band, even for um, Cliff Martinez, who was playing drums. Uh-huh. So everybody just chipped in. You know, here here's a couple of lines here. Flea <laughs> barks off a couple yeah, of lines. Yeah, yeah. And basically, I would just follow up with, "What you see is what you get." That's incredible because you'd probably known Flea was like around in the punk scene for a long time too. Like he's in suburbia. He's one of the mm-hmm. punks who lives at the well, house he, there played in fear yes he played with the circle jerks he played in what i consider to be my favorite lineup of the circle jerks Uh and that was with um chuck biscuits playing drums we i think played i want to say with flea we played maybe four or five shows that's a crazy and the, lineup. The 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 the, the uh, drummer situation was there were three different drummers over the course of these five shows. Yeah, and um, we played a show down at the Music Machine in uh, West LA with uh, the Blasters headlining. The opening bands were. Um, Spinal Tap and Slayer. What? And Spinal Tap played this show? Yeah. <laughs> and sex Farm? I'm working on a sex farm. <laughs> Great song. We 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 played this show. This was probably my favorite Circle Jerk show. Yeah. And it was kind of the same situation that happened when Chuck Dukowski played the Black Flag EP in front of all of these people that knew nothing about that. All they knew was that we looked like we were 
going to the Peter Frampton concert at the Santa Monica Civic. Yeah. Everybody, like, just took a couple of steps back, and it was almost like they were afraid that we were all going to leap off the stage and start swinging our equipment at them or start trying to take bites out of their arms or their legs. But Flea also auditioned for Black Flag. Huh, and I, I, I don't, no idea. I don't know why he didn't pass the audition because he's as good as anybody that's played bass with them. I mean, I think that he's I, he's kind of one of the most famous bass players. I think, yeah, of, probably of, of all time. All time. Well, he's played with so many different people too. Yeah, like Patty Smith and the dude from Radiohead and. Yeah, I mean, he's like. When did he audition and not make it in the band? I wonder. That's insane. Early, must I mean? Yeah, must have been. Was it when you were in the band? No, 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 no. Okay, no, no, yeah. No. Wait, one thing I would want to ask about Black Flag. When I was growing up, there was always sort of just like one of those things that people know, but nobody knows the source of. Was that it was always like, oh yeah, the drummer Robo from Black Flag is like that guy had been in a Colombian Death Squad and had to move to L.A. to like escape from Colombia. We were told that he was just in the military. Yeah. And we were told that when he got up here, it was arranged for him to be a foreign exchange student going to UCLA, Mm -hmm. which he would never do. Of course not. Um, Actually, Robo was uh, a bag man for the Cali cartel. No shit. And it's all good because he was not part of the scene where he was the guy that said, you owe us money. I'm here to collect. Yeah. If if I go back and tell my people you're, you're not paying up. I, I can't tell you what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like he worked for them. But he was not heavy-handed. He's not like he's he not the, the one. He wasn't the guy that you know. He said the, the 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 worst thing that he witnessed was they threw a party and they were showing snuff films. Huh. Whoa, that's wild. He said that was the most heavy it got for him. And it, he got out basically, and like he's a sweetheart. He's one of the nicest guys you're ever gonna meet. Yeah, Rincon met him on a boat once and said he was really nice. Um. They they were peeing next to each other and Rincon actually accidentally like looked over and you know when like you know when you're peeing next to someone and you like look over and you just look at their dick just automatically <laughs> Rincon did that I have done like, that uh, hundreds of thousands of times I literally do that every time out of the urinal starting I, at the 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 piss trow at Dodger Stadium <laughs> yes and and but he's like yeah right here he was nice about it you know uh, <laughs> said the guy was packing. But uh, that's uh, yeah, that was always sort of the mystique of like like Black Flag. It's like yeah, like they're like they're drummer. They're drummers like a, if you don't like them, their drummer's <laughs> gonna send out the hit squad. They're gonna hang you. They're gonna skin you alive. All right, guys, I hate to do it, but that concludes part one of our interview with Keith Morris. If you want to hear part two, that's gonna be available on our Patreon along with a video version of the entire thing. So if you just want to watch this instead, uh, by all means, that's going to be available on Patreon as well. That's patreon.com slash yeah, but still. Thank you, Keith Morris, for coming on the podcast. It was an honor to interview you. 
Thank you, Brace Belden of True Anon, for joining me. Um, also, shout out to my friend Autry for setting this whole thing up a year ago on 4th of July. Um, and folks, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy part two, available on our Patreon. You better believe us. You better trust us. Teenage Giants.